going to be all over the place here. Kids, y'all can head on back to the back. If you want to open up somewhere, you can open up to Isaiah 40 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, but we are really going to be all over the place, so those will kind of be placeholders for you and the, uh, the text we will talk about the most. But uh, as I said, it's that time of year again, the time when I ask if any of you guys have New Year's resolutions and you all look at me like I'm some sort of naive, gullible soul that has no business standing up here telling you guys that you should be doing anything of the sort. I think over the course of the last 10 years that we've been doing this, or the last nine years we've been doing this, um, the, the percentage of people at Providence that do uh, New Year's resolutions has probably gone down. So that tells you how effective my preaching has been. But uh, I, I do this every year and talk about New Year's resolutions every year because I think, uh, and I'm absolutely convinced, this should be part of every Christian's yearly routine. I think part of our task as humans, but especially Christians, is that we are to constantly be evaluating our hearts. We are constantly to be uh, assessing our lives. Uh, and, and, and we are to, to, to constantly be, be diligent and, and vigilant uh, about doing that. Always checking our hearts and looking at what we are, we are doing and how our lives are. And the reality is that our lives are busy. Sometimes they are flat out chaotic. Uh, and that can make it very, very hard for us to be able to, to take the time to step back and truly evaluate our lives. So every year, I want to provide some measure of encouragement to those of you that make New Year's resolutions and some measure of admonishment to those of you that do not. Uh, because I think this is something that our calendar builds in something for us to step back for just a moment. Now, it doesn't mean that your life has gotten easier over the course of the last few days and the last few weeks. It probably hasn't. It's probably gotten busier because you've, you've got kids around, you've got different stuff going on, all kinds of places you're supposed to be. But there's something about that change of that calendar from one year to the next that is built into the rhythm of our, uh, our, our lives and our year where it just makes sense to talk about this at the new year. So uh, this is as good a time as any to talk about this reality that us as Christians, we as Christians, should be always evaluating our lives and how, how the year has gone versus how the new year might go. But I will say, I understand your skepticism. I totally get it. You can find all kinds of stats to back this up. You, you Google it. I, I Googled this just the other day in preparation for this sermon. Uh, I think all these stats are totally made up, but uh, the, the one, one stat that I found is that 80% of all New Year's resolutions are done by February 1st. 80% are done by February 1st. Only 8% make it to the end of the year. So that's not very encouraging, but I do find something encouraging in that, right? So if 80% are done by uh, if 80% are done by February 1st and then 8% still make it to the end, what that tells me is if you can get to February 1st with your New Year's res resolution, you got a shot at making it for the whole year. So there's my encouragement for the morning. But you, so you got a shot. Um, but, but everybody knows that New Year's resolutions are basically just the punchline to a, a joke. I, I get that. I totally understand that. And, and part of the reason is because it's completely arbitrary in how we do this. Yes, there is something about the year changing from one to the next, but 
In all honesty, what's the difference between December 31st and January 1st or January 3rd or July 24th or March 15th or October 22nd? What's the difference between any of these different days? They're just another day on the calendar. Any day is as good as any other day to make a resolution. So what's the big, uh, the big deal about it? And then on top of that, you, you accompany with the, the fact that whenever you, uh, whenever you have made resolutions in the past, whether they be New Year's resolutions or not, and resolve to be better at something, you've inevitably failed. That's why it's your New Year's resolution again. So you have this track record of not succeeding at this. So w if, if it's totally arbitrary that it's at a new year and you've got a track record of failing at this resolution that you have, then really what's the, the point? They just kind of are what they are. You do what you do. Why not just accept some things for being what they are? Like, why not just accept the fact that whenever the hot sign is on at Krispy Kreme, you're going to stop and you're going to get some donuts like we did uh, last night when we were driving through Pigeon Forge, which also kind of got me thinking, why are black-eyed peas and greens the things you're supposed to eat for good luck? Why can we not make it a thing where hot Krispy Kreme donuts is what you eat at the first of the year for good luck? Can we make that shift somehow and just make that, that work for us instead? That makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, but anyways... Why fight it? You know it's inevitable that you're going to give in to this, so why should, we, uh, why, should we, why should we fight it? Well, so what I want to talk about this morning as we get into this is less about the resolutions and more about uh, new things and the way that God works. I heard something early in, in December that's been bouncing around in my head pretty much nonstop since I uh, heard it. Every year, Emily and I do our best to go to an Andrew Peterson concert at Christmas uh, thanks to a kind gift, we were able to watch the live stream this year of the Andrew Peterson concert since he wasn't doing his, his tour. And uh, during that concert, he read something that uh, it's, worth, it's worth just listening to the whole thing. It had Emily in tears by the time she got to the end of it. But what he said in there was one little line that just, it will not leave my head. But what he said is that in Revelation chapter 21, God says, behold, I am making all things new. He does not say... I am making all new things. And that distinction is everything for us. He says, behold, I am making all things new, not I am making all new things. And it's in that spirit that I talk about New Year's resolutions today. Praise God that he doesn't just decide, you know what, I'm going to just start over. This batch of humans was completely broken from the very beginning. Uh, this guy, Tony, he doesn't keep most of his resolutions. In fact, I don't think I have a track record of him keeping any of his resolutions. He's a mess. Uh, he can't do any of these things. So why don't we just start over and why don't we just make something new? Why don't we just start from scratch. God doesn't make all new things. He makes us new. So what that means is that God is constantly in the business of restoring and transforming our broken down sinful mess that we are. God is a creator in chapters 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis. After that, he's a restorer for the rest of the book. He creates in the beginning and then he restores after that. He doesn't just say, you know what? They messed it up. Let's redo this thing and let's recreate something. He says, let's restore something. And so in Revelation chapter 21, 
He isn't looking back on humanity and looking back on the world and all of human history and saying, I'm about to wipe this thing out and start something new. He's looking back and he says, I'm going to take this old, discarded, broken down, beaten up, you, me, and every other piece of his creation. And he says, I'm going to make this thing new again. So a new year is man's way of trying to make something new again. But it fails so often to make something new because we are trying to start something new. We're trying to create something new, a new resolution, a new year. We're trying to make something new, a, a new you, a new me. That we're, we're trying to make this. But what I want us to remember this day, January 3rd, 2021, as we get this year rolling, is not that we are trying to make something new, but that we are in the hands of a God who makes all things new. And this year of all years, we need to stop and just assess for a moment about what it is that we've gone through over the course of the last 12 months. <clears throat> I mean, how do you even assess what we've been through between racial unrest, political unrest, global pandemic elections, global and local lockdowns? The past 12 months, whoever you are, has punched us right in the mouth. And it would be a failure on our part if we didn't stop and just kind of acknowledge that before we move on. At least to acknowledge, you know what, we've at least made it here to this day, to a new year together. It is a new year and it is a new day. And I would love to stand up here and preach a message about what all God has taught us during this year and about lessons you can learn from 2020. And I suppose there's some of those that we could uh, talk about, but honestly, that just from my perspective, feels a bit presumptuous on my part. One, because he is still teaching me the lessons of this past year. I have not fully learned them in any real measure. He's still kind of massaging and pressing those into my life and into my heart. I don't feel like I can justly stand up here and say, this is everything that I've learned from 2020, because I have not fully learned those lessons yet. But regardless of what this year has been for you, difficult or not, it has been different. And anytime something different happens, anything, something kind of moves us off our spot, kind of gets us out of our groove, kind of changes the way that we do things, it will teach us something about who we are. It will teach us about what we hold fast to, and it will teach us about what we do whenever the floodwaters begin to rise. Just like you knowing what you would grab whenever you run into your house, if your house were on fire, says something about you, so it is whenever life goes uh, completely on the fritz and goes into chaos like it has for this year, what, the way you respond in that moment says something about who you are, and it says something about what God is doing in your life. So learning what that is, finding out what that is, I can't stand up here and tell you that. I can't stand up here as a pastor and tell you that. I'm still working on figuring that out for myself. That's between you and the Holy Spirit and your community that knows you best to be able to talk through that and to be able to think through that. But here's what I can safely say about 2020. That no matter what this year has meant to you, no matter how hard it has been, how much you have suffered, how much you have struggled to get through it, God has and will continue to use all of it for his own purposes. And do you know what that ultimate purpose is? 
Romans 8, 28, Chris has already quoted it this morning, says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what is the ultimate purpose that Paul cites right there of us going through things, that God is using things and working on things? What is the purpose that we are driving to? To be conformed to the image of his son. So whatever this year has been for you, I can tell you that God will use it and is using it to that end. To conform you to the image of his son. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says it this way. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So you see what he said there, being transformed from the same in, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So where he says that, being transformed into the same Im- image, what he's saying there is the image of God being made more into his likeness. One that was distorted and mangled by the fall, the rest of history is about restoring that image to what it is meant to be. And we are being restored. We are being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. This is our goal. This is where we set our target. This is where we aim. This is our goal. This is the the end goal of every single painful, knock you over, stretch you thin, push your limits, make your head spin, and exasperate you to the last second year Every second of it has been to that end, to make you more like Christ. And so the question that I have for you, were you as active in your pursuit of God as he was in his pursuit of you? Were you as active in your pursuit of God as he was in his pursuit of you? And of course the answer to that is no, you weren't. You absolutely we're not. Now that could leave you exasperated, depressed, disappointed in yourself. But listen, this morning as Christians, you need to know that's the most beautiful thing you could ever hear. That even whenever you failed, he was still pursuing you. That when your faith lags, when your endurance falters, when your certainty wanes, when your strength fails, when your resolve Weakens. His never does. Why is that? Listen, if you guys have learned anything from me at all during this year, during 2020, I hope it's this. That God is not like us. He is not like us. I want to read a passage that can perhaps give us a good summary of what I hope you take away, at least in part, from being here at Providence during 2020. 20. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18 says this. To whom then will you liken God? He's not like us. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it? A goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains? 
He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you hear the irony in that? What are you going to compare to God? Are you going to to pick some wood that won't rot? Are you going to make it out of gold and that idol is just going to sit there and not move? Verse 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom will you To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Who are you going to compare me to that I would be like somebody you can can name? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be To whom will we compare God? Those last few verses are usually accompanied by some sort of imagery of an an eagle sailing over the water or uh, depending on uh, what your purposes are for those verses, maybe uh, somebody running track uh, down in a runner stance getting ready to take a run. Like this plastered over that image that you get there. You, you see this eagle and you see these, this athlete about to run. And, and the easy way to misunderstand these verses and to apply them to us uh, is to say that we, we trust God to help us endure when eventually our strength fails and when eventually we begin to falter. And that somewhere along the, wind, along the way, we'll catch kind of a, a second wind and God will be the wind beneath our wings and he will buoy us along as we make it throughout the, the, the day. But the whole point in that passage is not about how great God will make us and how he will help us to to, to run fast and to to fly far. The whole point in that passage is how weak we are, how unable we are, and how great God is. Friends, so long as we make that passage about us, we will constantly wonder why we keep faltering. But whenever we understand that it's about how great God is and that our hope is not in ourselves, then then we can truly understand what that verse means for us. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying, I'm I'm not against having good self-esteem. I'm not against having uh, a kind of can-do-it attitude. Those aren't bad things. What I'm saying is that can-do-it attitude and a great self-esteem is woefully insufficient thing. 
We need something outside of ourselves to assure us that when this world presses in, whenever this world turns to chaos, when our heads start to spin, we need something outside of ourselves whenever we realize how beset we are with sin and failure. We need something outside of ourselves that says, you still have hope. God is still there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's just a metaphor talking about how you have this really valuable thing placed in something that will crack and will fail. We have this treasure in jars of clay, namely us, to show that we that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Skip down to verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This light and momentary affliction. This, these things that we, that, that, that we see are doing work on, the, on us in ways that we cannot see. They're preparing us for a, greater, for a greater day. We do not look to the things that are seen. We do not look to the checklist and to the resolutions. We do not look to the thing, we, but instead we look to the unseen, to the sanctification and the eventual glorification of our bodies. Do you see how that works there? Paul says, hey, you can see all these outer things. That can be affliction, it can be things being pressed in, or it could be things that you create yourself, like a resolution, like a checklist, like a thing that says, if I get this done, this done, this done, and this done, I'll be more like God. But that's not how it works. Instead, what it says is, here's these things that will press into you, and here's these lists that you can make, but in the end, it is the things that are unseen that make us like God. It is the things that are unseen that renew us day by day. It is the things that are unseen that will then change our, 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 who we are and, and the direction that we are heading. Being renewed day by day. And why are we being renewed day by day? Because that's a whole lot better than God saying, I'm making something new every day. He is renewing us every day. He is growing us every day. He is pressing in on us with affliction, yes. And he's also telling us to pursue him too. The things that are seen then affect the things that are unseen. And then we are renewed through those things. Friends, this year I want you to make resolutions. I want you to do that. I do. I hope everyone in this room has a list of a few things that they want to change. I want you to consider what God might be calling you to do in this season. I want you to consider what sins it is that you struggle with. I want you to consider what sins it is that you know and, and pray that God would reveal to you the ones that you do not. Friends, I want you to make resolutions. 
I want you to think about what God might be laying on your heart right now. And when you know what that thing is or what those things are, I hope you will pursue them with all that you are. I hope you will do it in January, and I hope you will do it in February, and I hope that you will do it in September, and I hope you will do it to the bitter end of December 2021. I hope you pursue it with all that you have. After all, this is our task in sanctification. This is our role in sanctification. God calls us to be sanctified. He sanctifies us, but then he calls us to get to work too. We don't sanctify ourselves, but he says you are active in the process. And so I hope you will pursue it with all you have. I hope you will go to war with your sin. I hope you will go to war with your flesh. Every day, all out war. But here's what I want you to know. There's a pretty good chance you're going to lose that battle sometimes. You're going to grow weary in your fight with sin. You're going to grow weary in your fight with yourself. You're going to fail. Now, perhaps there's one or two besetting sins that you can take out this year. Perhaps there is, is, is something that you know you flat out need to be rid of and you cannot fail. Then be rid of it. Be done with it. Let this year be the year that you are finished with it. But then also hear Paul's words well. Romans 7, 21. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. As you defeat and you slay one sin, Satan is right there with another saying, how about this one? Why don't you give this one a try? Our flesh is a constant dragon that we must slay. A fight we must never give up. But know that in the end, the battle is God's and the victory is his. And I want to leave you this morning with, with what is, I think, the most hopeful verse I can give you as we kick off a new year. And as we think about what it means that God is renewing us day by day. And what it, what it, what it means when we think about the work that God is doing within us. I want you to think about what it is that, that God has called you to. And I want you to think about what it means in your life that on January 3rd, God says, behold, I am making all things new. I want to give you this verse that is so hopeful. As you walk out of here, I hope freshly resolved, freshly resolved to slay your dragons. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, it says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. And he will surely do it. Friends, it is not on you to make yourself ready for that day. Yes, you are called to fight. Yes, you are called to work. Yes, you are called to slay that dragon. But what the Bible tells us is that as God prepares us for that day when we will meet face to face, what we just sung about, as God prepares you for that, it says that he will sanctify you completely. He will do it. And that he who calls us is faithful. 
he will surely do it. He will surely do it. It might be this month. It might be this year. It might be on the final day before you come face to face with him. But make no mistake, he will surely do it. So write down those resolutions. Go to war with your sin. And most importantly, this year, rest in Jesus Christ and the truth that he will do. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this hope. Thank you for this hope that ultimately our success in keeping a resolution, our success in whatever it is that you lay on our hearts today that we need to be done with, that we need to eliminate from our life, from this sin that so often entangles and holds us back. Father, thank you that ultimately the victory does not rest in our ability to endure, in our ability to stay resolved, in our ability to slay the dragon. But instead we rest in you. We cling to the hope. If we, if we fail and we falter and we stumble and we, we, we fall to the ground, we cling to the hope that you will get us to that finish line, that you will surely do.